The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly LA Rams podcast. Bi-weekly during the season, we are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome back, Ram fans. This is our midweek drop. We have a preview of that Cardinal Ram game. We have our game picks, and we also have a sports pet peeve that we have been sitting on for a couple weeks. We'll share that with you. But first, some additional notes from that Ram-Buck game. Matthew Stafford, third game ever with 300-plus yards and 4-plus TDs with zero interceptions. Another interesting note. They are doing really well out of an empty formation on offense. They lead the league out of that set with 25 completions, 345 yards, and only one pressure out of Stafford's 34 dropbacks out of an empty formation. And McVay and Stafford have actually changed things up a little bit. After leading the NFL with a 32% play action rate over the past three seasons, the Rams are only using it 25% of the time so far this year. So he's relying more on that spread formation and empty backfield set a lot more than in past years. So far, how has Stafford done under McVay? Completion percentage, 70.2%. 942 yards, 9 TDs. He's 3-0. And Matthew Stafford ties Kurt Warner with the most ever TDs by a Ram quarterback in the first three games. That was the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl and beat the Titans, by the way. And perhaps the craziest thing we can share with you about Stafford is this. 
In 165 games with the Detroit Lions, Stafford was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week one time. One time. In three games with the Rams, he has won that award twice. This is the sixth time Tom Brady has thrown for at least 400 yards with zero interceptions in the regular season, but it's the first time he has lost while doing so. So there's a little chink in his armor thanks to the Rams. I wanted to comment on Sonny Michel real quickly. Not only was he productive in the run game, but he had one blitz pickup that was really incredible. Good to see, especially when you got Matthew Stafford back there. We need running backs that can pick up the blitz. And it looks like Sony's up to that task. Cooper Cup so far, 25 receptions, first in the league. 367 yards, first in the league. And five TDs, first in the league. Go through some snap counts. and Shout out to Cameron De Silva. He shares these online. I'm certainly not going to sit there for six hours and count numbers every play. So uh, I really appreciate having someone else do that. I'm not sure where he gets these numbers, but... It's a lot of work, I'm sure. The Rams continue to play that fearsome five out there for virtually every play on defense. Rapp, Fuller, Williams, Ramsey, and Young. Did not see Ernest Jones at all. Zero snaps. Thought we might see him late in the game on that last buck drive, but he did not get out there. Chris Garrett logged four snaps. I'm not sure if that was because Hollins had hurt himself. Talk about that Hollins injury in a minute. Zero snaps between Terrell Burgess and Robert Rochelle. So the Rams are going with Williams and Ramsey, Fuller and Rapp, obviously, and rolling in Nick Scott and David Long as needed. No sign of Rochelle or Burgess, though. Now, remember, Burgess had a pretty severe injury last year. That may still be holding him back. Only guessing here. One last word on our secondary. I saw on ESPN... Keyshawn Johnson disparaging our secondary. He made the comment that our cornerbacks in 2018, Talib and Peters, are better than our current cornerbacks because we really only have one to speak of, that being Jalen Ramsey. Which got me to thinking, I wonder if Keyshawn even knows who Darius Williams is. I wonder if he's aware of how good Darius Williams is. I suspect not. That could be the only explanation. Darius Williams is one of the best cover corners in the league. The data shows it. He's proven it. I'll take Darius Williams over the 2018 version of Peters or Talib in a heartbeat. So I'm not going to go after Keyshawn Johnson anymore on this. I'll leave it at that. Inquiring minds want to know, what was Andrew Whitworth telling McVeigh on the sideline? in between the last two plays there. Those are the little things that really get me. I would just love to know what was said between those two as the game was winding down there. Jake Funk had 14 snaps, more than I thought he would. It was interesting. He was out there for the first series. He had one carry, and on another play, he went out for a swing pass, but was not targeted. But we didn't see him again until late in the game. And I went back and looked. I said, why did they put... Sony in so quickly. Was it because Funk missed a blitz pickup, missed an assignment? I didn't see anything glaring that jumped out at me. Maybe they just said, hey, let's give Jake a couple carries, a couple shots, get the one carry for six yards. 
And that was kind of about it. Like I say, he got in later in the game, but it was mostly the Sony show. Funk looked good on his one carry, though. Really finished strong, kind of had that Malcolm Brown style. Once he makes contact, there's another three yards to be had, it appears. Pro football focus grades, Aaron Donald, no surprise, 90.1. Austin Corbett, 83.8. Ashan Robinson, his highest grade as a Ram, 83.6. Deshaun Jackson, also his highest grade as a Ram, 82.4. That's not really saying much. He has hardly played. And Leonard Floyd came in with a 79.5. And Havenstein, a 75.2. Oh, and by the way, the Rams are the least penalized team in the league. So that's a good sign. So Justin Hollins, he's out for 8 to 10 weeks with a partially torn pectoral muscle. Hollins is a guy that I wasn't even sure he was going to make this team, but bad on me, he has stood out as a real consistent contributor on this defense. Been playing really well, so that's a loss. Fortunately, we're kind of deep. Oak Ronco is coming off short-term IR, so he'll be back. They also have Terrell Lewis, who's been playing okay, up and down, but... I think the Rams are going to be okay at that position, and they'll probably activate Justin Lawler for some games. And then there's Chris Garrett. Maybe he'll step up for us. And late breaking news, the Rams have just picked up Jameer Jones on waivers. He was waived by the Steelers. He's a 6'3", 255-pound outside linebacker. He has some pass rushing abilities that were on display during the preseason. So that's obviously a waiver wire pickup in response to the loss of Hollins. But sad to see. Hopefully Hollins will be back for our Super Bowl push. The Rams are also bringing offensive lineman Tremaine Ankrum back from the short-term injured reserve list. So they have activated two players, picked up Jones off the waiver wire, and put Hollins on IR. So if my math is correct, they need to make two more moves to get back down to 53. So the way this works is Ankrum and Okoronko come off the IR, but the Rams have 21 days to decide if they're going to add them to the 53-man roster or put them on long-term IR. So in this 21-day window, we could see these two guys activated, and for each player activated, the Rams will have to make a cut. Sorry to beat this drum again, but LA is not a football town, huh? Well, Right now, the Rams lead the league 100.4% capacity in attendance over their first two home games. Can't do much better than that. And before we press on, I wanted to mention at the end of each episode, I will be covering the mistakes and errors I have made in previous episodes. Last week, I shared that I totally forgot to talk about Micah Kaiser, the now ex-Ram, signed off our practice squad by the Broncos. Uh, So I wanted to touch on him real quickly. 2018 fifth round pick. I feel like he would have been a great 1970s style linebacker. Just one of those thumper run stopping guys. Doesn't really fit into the scheme anymore with a lot of teams in the NFL where they need guys that can go more sideline to sideline and cover tight ends and running backs in the passing game. But I liked Micah Kaiser. He was a solid guy, class guy, had a defensive player of the week award early last season. He's a good player. He just has to find the right fit. So sorry to see you go, Micah, and good luck in Denver. I will not be going through my entire power rankings. I will share with you my new Elite Eight. I got the Rams at one. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. Yes, I'm giving them a mulligan 
for that week one loss to Pittsburgh. They deserve this spot. I think right now they would beat the number three team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coming on strong, number four, the Cleveland Browns, looking like a complete team. Number five, the Arizona Cardinals. I think they still have questions in their running game, and their defense is not consistent, have secondary issues, just like the Niners and Seahawks, by the way. Our secondary is so deep compared to our NFC West rivals. Number six, the Las Vegas Raiders. Number seven, the LA Chargers. Although I picked the Chargers to beat the Raiders this week, so maybe I should rethink that, but the Raiders deserve the sixth spot, I think. 3-0, and Chargers 2-1. and And number eight, the Kansas City Chiefs 1-2. and Man, I don't know what's going on out there, but they better get it together. They travel to play Philadelphia, and uh, another loss, they could be in really bad shape. I also typically have a Triple P segment on Thursdays. This week I do not have a complete Triple P segment. That's whose fans are pumped, whose fans are pissed, and whose fans are perplexed. But I'm going to go through that real quickly right now. There are a bunch of teams who have pumped fans right now. Every 3-0 and team, their fans have to be pumped, right? The Cowboys and Bills fans have to be pumped after their team's performances this week. Bengals going into Pittsburgh and winning, their fans are pumped. The Ravens winning on that 66-yard field goal, Ravens fans are pumped. And Charger fans got to be pumped, right? And, and the Vikings bouncing back from that painful loss in Arizona and beating Seattle at home. And Packers fans, that miracle finish in San Francisco, they all those fans are pumped. And who's pissed? Well, Lions fans leading the pack there. They have to be thoroughly pissed. Can we just get a win? They have to be thinking, we deserve that win. We earned it. And then it all goes to naught in that last minute. Missed call by the refs, at least perhaps a missed call. And then that doink off the crossbar to beat them from 66 yards. They got to be pissed. And Steeler fans have to be pissed. You know, what the heck is going on here? We win our first game against Buffalo. We think we are the Pittsburgh Steelers again. We are going to win this division again. And what happens? They throw a dud against the Bengals. Their defense is so banged up. Maybe a little more perplexed, but if I'm a Steeler fan, I'm just flat out pissed right now. And who's perplexed? Seahawks fans. It's like, what's going on here? This is the Seattle Seahawks led by Russell Wilson. We don't lose like that. We don't get shut out in the second half. We don't get gashed on defense like that. We're one and two or we're in last place. What the heck? I kind of saw this coming if you heard my predictions prior to the season starting, but still things are going sideways for the Seahawks fast. The Bears, they have to be perplexed. Give us Justin Fields, please. Give him a shot. And then What a horrific offensive performance. Not all on fields. Sacked nine times, was it? So I don't think they're necessarily pissed. They're just really confused. We thought Justin Fields was the answer. And maybe now we understand why the coaching staff was hesitant to throw him out there just yet. And the Chiefs have to be perplexed. One and two in last place, much like the Seahawks. A lot of people saw them as a front runner for the Super Bowl. And I, I don't know, I don't 
can't really explain it. And that's probably what Chiefs fans are thinking. They can't explain it either. They are thoroughly perplexed. So I'll leave it at that. Those are my pumped, pissed, and perplexed fans for this week. We'll come back in a minute with our preview of the Arizona Cardinals-Los Angeles Rams game at SoFi Stadium this Sunday, 1.05 p.m. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. If sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. New customers don't miss out at your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Just another week in the NFL and another showdown game for the L.A. Rams. Last week, it was the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This week, it's the 3-0 divisional rival Arizona Cardinals. Looks like it's going to be another beautiful day in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. What more could you ask for? Let's take a look back at the history between these two teams. Rams lead the series, 44 wins, 38 losses, two ties. Perhaps most significantly, they've won the last eight. Sean McVay has never lost to the Cardinals. I don't think there's been a lot of significant games between these two teams, but there's one game that always sticks in my mind for some reason. Might be giving away my age here. February 27, 1975, playoff game between the Rams and the Cardinals, the Los Angeles Rams and the St. Louis Cardinals. Rams win 35-23. to That was Ron Jaworski, the Polish rifle, against Jim Hart. Cardinals had an explosive offense. The Rams had one of the best defenses in the league. The Rams returned two first-half interceptions for TDs. And Ron Jesse scooped up a fumble by one of his teammates and ran it into the end zone. And I remember that game for some reason. I don't know why. I just remember it. There was so much talent on the field that day for the Cardinals. Mel Gray, Jim Hart, Dan Deerdorf, Conrad Dobler, an earlier incarnation of Richie Incognito, and Terry Metcalf. Roger Worley on defense. And the Rams, Jack Youngblood, Dave Elmendorf, Fred Dreyer, Harold Jackson, Dennis Hara, Tom Mack, Lawrence McCutcheon, and Heisman Trophy winner John Capaletti, and that great linebacker Isaiah Robertson. 
Rams won that one, went on to lose to the Cowboys in the next round. I think it was 37-7, to but that's the one Cardinal-Ram game that sticks in my mind. I cannot explain why. Take a look at the Cardinals. They were 8-8 eight eight last year, third place in the NFC West. They lost out to the Bears in a wild-card tiebreaker. Their coach, Cliff Kingsbury, offense 13th highest scoring. Their defense... Fair to middling as well, 20th in yards surrendered last year. They were fourth in sacks with 48, but their leader in that category, Hassan Reddick, has moved on to Carolina. He had 12 and a half sacks last year. But remember, last year they didn't have Chandler Jones, and they didn't have J.J. Watt. Jones comes back from injury, and they added Watt as a free agent. Both teams come in with nine sacks this year. Chandler Jones has five to himself. Three other players have combined for the other four. For the Rams, Aaron Donald, Justin Hollins, and Leonard Floyd all have two sacks. Of course, Hollins will not be seen in this game. I think the Cardinals had a really good draft. They picked three guys I really liked. The inside linebacker, Zabin Collins, out of Tulsa in the first round. They picked up Rondell Moore, the wide receiver out of Purdue in the second round. And Tay Gowan, a cornerback out of the University of Central Florida, In the sixth round, pick number 223. Great value there. I don't believe any of these guys are really contributing at a significant level yet. But nonetheless, I think it's a good draft. Key players. Well, we all know about Kyler Murray, the mobile quarterback. And DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the league. And they also added A.J. Green, who had 112 yards just last week against the Jags. So... I think the other teams in the NFC West were hoping he was over the hill. That does not appear to be the case. The Cardinals either haven't figured out who their number one running back is, or they're just going to press forward with a two-headed monster. So far, Chase Edmonds and James Conner have 31 and 35 carries respectively, 135 and 122 yards respectively. So Edmonds a little bit more productive yards per carry, but... Split in duty so far, and I expect that to be the case against the Rams. On defense, Bud Baker, one of the best safeties in the league, Chandler Jones. We talked about J.J. Watt. Very good young linebacker, Isaiah Simmons. Another thing the Cardinals did was really improve that offensive line by adding Rodney Hudson, the center. He was with the Raiders last year. That's been an ongoing weakness for the Cardinals for several years, that offensive line. So Hudson's a great addition and really addressed one of their weaknesses. So far this year, they've deposed of the Tennessee Titans, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Jacksonville Jags. The win against the Titans was pretty impressive, 38-13. Kyler Murray throwing for 289 yards against Minnesota. They really got lucky there at the end. Minnesota missed a last-second field goal that would have won it. Cardinals escaped with a 34-33 win. Murray threw for 400 yards in that one. And against Jacksonville, 31-19 on the road. That was the game in which they gave up a 109-yard return off a missed field goal. Pretty solid win in Jacksonville for the Cardinals. What are my fearsome four keys to the game from the Rams' perspective? Well, in past years, the Rams have done a pretty good job of containing Kyler Murray. But they have to continue to do that. So my fearsome key number one is that pocket containment. They have to have a disciplined rush, much like they have utilized against Russell Wilson. 
Keep Murray contained. He's bound to escape for a few runs. Just don't let it get out of hand. Get your sacks, but the primary mission for our defensive line should be containment. Collapse that pocket. Force him to throw. The sacks will come. Don't let him rip off 15, 20-yard runs on third and 10. For some key number two, contain those two pass rushers, Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. And I think the Rams have the offensive line in place to do that. Just need a repeat performance that we had against Tampa Bay, and we'll be fine. Need to get it done up front against those two guys. For some key number three, now I'm no defensive coordinator, but in this game, I think we need to shut down DeAndre Hopkins, and we've done that in the past with Jalen Ramsey. I hope we return to that strategy rather than letting him play that star position and roam all over the field. I think our other cornerbacks can handle A.J. Green. We need to shut down Hopkins, and Jalen Ramsey is the guy to do it. Now, I could be wrong. Raheem Morris may have a different plan in place, but stick with the plan that worked last year. Jalen Ramsey all over DeAndre Hopkins, limiting Kyler Murray's options. Shut down that connection, Murray to Hopkins. Fearsome key number four, I think this is a great game to get the running game going. And I think we will. I'm not sure if Henderson's going to play yet. But even if it's Michelle and Funk, let's do it. Let's get our running game going. May not so much be a key to victory in this game, but I think it's important nonetheless to establish that running game, make the play action more effective. Let's not fall into that trap of counting on Matthew Stafford throwing for 350 or 400 yards a game. Let's get a rushing game going. Let's get over 100 yards, 125 yards on the ground. That'll be a key for this week, and it will be critical to future success against some of our upcoming opponents. My prediction, I think the Cardinals are going to find a way to put some points on the board, much like Tampa Bay did, in a different style, of course, but I don't think the Cardinals are going to be able to slow down the Rams that much. I think Sean McVay remains unbeaten against the Arizona Cardinals. The Rams extend their winning streak over the Arizona Cardinals to nine straight with a 30-23 win at SoFi Stadium this Sunday. It's time for our Rams Up! Straight up NFL picks. Let's take a look at my game picks. First, a review of last week. If you haven't been following along, I'm tracking three experts' picks. Those experts are Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, Lorenzo Reyes of USA Today, and Pete Prisco of CBS Sports. I came in to this week behind Mike and Lorenzo, but ahead of Pete. Week three was pretty darn good for me. I have actually passed Mike Florio now, well ahead of Pete, still trailing Lorenzo, who, as I've mentioned before, is pretty darn good at this. I went 12-4 and last week, as did Lorenzo. Mike and Pete both went 9-7. and I was also right on my money bet. I took the Saints plus 2.5 over the Patriots, I picked the Saints to win out right, and they did. Never understood that line. but So I won that, and I also took my survivor pick. 
kind of copped out and took the Broncos over the Jets. So I'm 1-0 on my money bets this year, 3-0 on my survivor picks. Right now, I stand at 30 correct picks and 18 wrong. Lorenzo leads the pack 32-16, and 16. Mike Florio 28-20, and Pete Prisco 25-23. and 23. So I'm chasing Lorenzo, see if I can make up any ground with my picks this week. The reason I had such a good week is there are really four games where the experts were split on their picks. And not calling myself an expert here, but but those four games all broke my way. Saints over the Pats, Vikings over the Seahawks, Rams over the Bucks, and the Packers over the 49ers. Unfortunately, Lorenzo was the only one of the four who took the Falcons over the Giants. Should have saw that coming. Falcons actually played well the week before against the Bucks. Giants have been very disappointing, but give Lorenzo credit, though. He gets the win there, and the rest of us take a loss. So what about week four picks? I'm taking the Bengals at home over the Jaguars, and actually that's going to be my survivor pick as well. I'm taking the Titans on the road over the Jets. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills over the Texans. That one shouldn't be close. I have the Bills as my number two team in the league. They'll make short order of the Texans. At least they better. One of the tougher games to pick Colts versus Dolphins. When in doubt, take the home team. I'm taking Miami. Another tough one to pick, the Browns, Vikings. I'm sure we're going to get some split opinions on this. And by the way, I make these picks before I see anyone else's. But Browns, Vikings. I'm taking the home team, the Vikings. Chiefs versus Eagles. Chiefs got to bounce back in that one, but they got to go on the road, and Eagles will be feisty, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Giants versus Saints. Saints are a tough team to figure out right now, but I think they'll take care of the Giants at home. Washington football team at Atlanta. I'll go with the Falcons. Lions versus Bears. You know, I have a feeling everyone else is going to take the Bears, but I'm going to take the Lions. Lay it out there right now for Jared Goff. Poor guys, they should have had a win last week. Panthers at Cowboys. This is an interesting game. Panthers have a very good defense. Not sure if McCafferty will be available. Cowboys looked very good Monday night, especially on offense. I'll go with Dallas. Cardinals at Rams. Well, you know the answer to that. I never pick against the Rams. Some years that cost me dearly. Went 7-9 five years in a row on Ram games. Thank you, Jeff Fisher. Seahawks at Niners. The Seahawks are in trouble. Seriously. Tyler Lockett probably won't go, right? Niners defense is still playing well. I'm taking the Niners. Seattle slips to one and three. I think it might be better for the Rams cause if the Seahawks won, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Steelers at Packers. This would normally be a marquee matchup, but the Steelers are kind of floundering. I'll take the Packers in that one. Ravens at Broncos. Another really interesting game. Are the Broncos for real? Not sure. I mean, seriously, they beat the Giants, Jags, and Texans. This is kind of a coin flip game for me, but I'm going to take the home team. Denver's defense playing well. Bucks at Patriots. Tom Brady comes home. To play the Patriots, I'm going to take the Bucks pretty easily. And actually, that's my money bet of the week. 
I'm taking the Bucks minus six. I think they'll cover. That's my bet. Bucks over Patriots. And the Monday night game, Raiders at Chargers. Showdown in L.A. Two games at SoFi this weekend, actually. I'm taking the Chargers. I think they're the more complete team. I think they're a better coach team. I think they'll win this game. So those are my picks for week four. A couple I don't feel real great about. Lions over Bears, sticking my neck out a little bit. Vikings over Browns. And then my survivor bet, the Bengals at home against the Jags. And my money bet of the week, Bucks to cover minus six over the Patriots. Time for another Rams Up Sports Pet Peeve. This issue has been flourishing on the World Wide Web the last few weeks. It all started with that Louisville Ole Miss football game, week one college football. Yes, I'm talking about college football's wonderfully infamous targeting rule. And we saw it at its worst in this football game. Four times the game was delayed to review potential instances of targeting. Four times targeting is verified and four players eject it from the game. And I'm not the only one that's got an issue with this. There's quite a few people, a lot of people with some pretty good credentials. Terry McCauley, the former NFL ref and an NBC rules analyst, was on it immediately. I think he's actually seen this coming for a while. This is not a new complaint. And I agree with McCauley. College football needs to institute something akin to what the NBA is doing, flagrant one and flagrant two fouls. I looked pretty closely at these four calls in the Louisville Ole Miss game, the four targeting penalties, 15-yard penalties, and player ejections. I reviewed all four of these targeting calls and the ensuing ejections. One of them, early in the game, Ole Miss linebacker made a tackle, lowered his helmet. Poor form, illegal, warranting a 15-yard penalty, I guess. An ejection, absolutely not. And the fourth targeting call in that game, I kind of put it in the same category. Another Ole Miss linebacker lowered his helmet, chasing the quarterback out of bounds. Poor form, 15-yard penalty, I guess. Ejection? Absolutely not. Now, the one on the kick return, I think was definitely a 15-yard penalty. This guy looked like he might have been headhunting a little bit. This was a block. This was a block that was made while Louisville was returning a kickoff. And the guy kind of went high, obviously. Hit him in the neck head area. So it's definitely a penalty. Absolutely. Laid the guy out pretty good. Ejection? Even that one, no. I would call an ejection on that. Kickoffs especially. Man, guys running down the field, trying to make tackles, trying to make blocks. That one's kind of borderline. The one that I would definitely call worthy of a 15-yard penalty absolutely was when Louisville hit the Ole Miss quarterback while he was sliding. Two guys actually hit him, and they needed to pull up there. They were just getting a free hit on the opponent's quarterback. 
Still, I don't think even that was worthy of an ejection. I really don't think it was. 15-yard penalty? Absolutely. I think the flagrant one and flagrant two approach would work. But the bigger problem I have is these stoppages to review. I mean, we live with it in the NBA already at the college football level. Do we really need to stop the game to review that? If you throw a flag on the guy, it's going to be a 15-yard penalty. Move on. If you don't call a flag on the guy, then you can still review it. But let the play go on. Have these guys review it. And if sometime later they decide, ooh, that was a flagrant one, then he gets a warning. Go over and warn the guy. Another one, you're out of the game. And if they decide it's a flagrant two, go back. Tell the guy, you're out, you're done, see you later. That's how I would approach this. Referees real-time can call the penalty. And real-time, referees can call a flagrant one and a flagrant two real-time. And if it's a flagrant two, they can also call up and ask for assistance. Should this be a flagrant one? But in most cases, play can just press on, no delay, Now, meanwhile, the guys up in the booth, they can be reviewing all of these. And they can call down in cases where a flagrant one should have been a flagrant two or a no call, something the refs didn't see, should have been a flagrant two. They can call down and say, hey, just pause the game for a second. Throw number 36 out of the game. This approach would solve a few problems. One, fairness. The appropriate penalties are being handed out. And two, Games are not stopped continuously because these guys in the booth want to review things. Hey, go ahead, review. We're going to move on with the game, though. And like I said, on the other hand, if the refs reach out for guidance, those would be the only cases the game would stop for a review. Call the flagrant ones. Call the flagrant twos. Ask for help if you need it. Otherwise, move on. And the booth can review anything they want just on their own time, not the time of 70,000 fans and how many millions of viewers might be tuning in for that particular game. So I'm on board with Terry McCauley. I'm taking it a step further, put a little twist on it to keep the game moving along, address the fairness and address the delays in games that are occurring because of these booth reviews. touch on a couple of program items before we sign off. We will have our regular Monday morning drop, recapping the Cardinal-Ram game, do our loop around the league, all the stuff we normally do. But the Seahawks game is only four days away after that, so we will include a brief preview of the Ram-Seahawk game. And then we, of course, will not have our regular Thursday morning drop. Instead, we will have a Friday morning drop recapping the Rams-Seahawk game. Get into our mistakes and omissions from recent episodes. I only have two that were brought to my attention. I called Derek Carr, David Carr. I don't think I'm the first to do that. And for some reason, I called Justin Tucker, Jason Tucker. 
I have no idea where that came from. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating, please. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library, Crimson Fly by Hama Hama.